This is Guitar Talk. To me, it just seems like there are endless possibilities. One of the things I like to find out, you know, how people got influenced in the play and the guitar, because stories are so unique. The trick is not to feel pressured to conform. If you know anything about Joel, he's been around the block. He's probably one of the most sought-after guitar players. How would you create that song? How would you turn that song into your song? There's not a guitar player on this planet that I personally don't follow closer. It's it's not something that you see too often. I only know a few players that do it. Now, from the home of the blues, Chicago, Illinois, welcome to Guitar Talk with your host, Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody. Welcome to Guitar Talk. I'm Jimmy Warren. Thank you so much for tuning in on this fine Wednesday. It is November 24th. We're just a few days away from celebrating Thanksgiving. I hope that you and your families all have an amazing time together. Uh, it'd be so nice to be able to spend time with family on this holiday. And, uh, you know, we just wish you the best. That's for sure. You know, it's going to be a great show today, but before we get into it, just a couple of quick announcements. One is you're going to see a lot of new things coming to Guitar Talk starting with the new season starting on January 1st. We've got a lot of great guests already lined up, interviews already in the can with people such as Steve Vai, Ariel Posen, Eric Gales, Walter Trout, Ian Thornley, and just a ton of others. It's going to be a great year. You know, that's for sure. It's going to be a great year. And just to let you know that we are brought to you today by the all-new Burst Effects Ultimate Blues and Rock Mini Pedal Setup. That's right. There's a brand new company out called Burst Music. They've got the Ultimate Mini Pedal Setup for Blues and Rock Music. It's uh, by Burst Effects. It's a six-pedal setup. It's a tuner. A plexi pedal, a dumbbell pedal, a boost, a chorus, and delay. It goes on pre-sale starting on December 1st right here at guitartalkofficial.com. It's the only place you're going to be able to get it for right now. So we're really proud to to be doing that. But, you know, I've got some demos and videos that are going to be coming out uh, around the sound and introducing these pedals and I think you're really going to like them. So if you're a guitar player and you're on a budget, or if you just like great sound, <laughs> you're going to enjoy these because all six pedals are only $199. Yeah, it's a great price. We're also brought to you by Charlie and John Strings. Uh, they're a long-lasting, vibrant, made right here in the United States. Great, great strings. I'm proud to use them myself. That's charlieandjohns.com. You can get them on Amazon or at guitartalkofficial.com. So today my guest is somebody that I've uh, come to know, uh, you know, his playing and his music through, you know, somebody that's probably considered one of the largest country artists in the world. Uh, Chris Luzinger is my guest today, and he is the guitarist for Garth Brooks. So, you know, those solos on iconic songs like I Got Friends in Low Places, <laughs> that's him. That's Chris. He's an amazing guy, amazing player with an amazing history. Super, super nice. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. I'm not going to rattle on anymore. We're going to jump right into it. Here you go. Chris Lusinger, the guitarist for Garth Books, right here 
on Guitar Talk with me, Jimmy Warren. Hey there. Hey, how you doing, Chris? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm real good, sir. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for the uh, invitation. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, whenever I get the opportunity to talk to a great guitar player, I try to take it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, yeah, yeah, myself. Whenever I get the opportunity to talk to somebody, I definitely do it. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I, I appreciate you uh, you doing it. It really means a lot. Um, you know, uh, I, I've had the opportunity to talk to so many amazing players from around the world, you know, in the time that I've done this in over my lifetime in that but when i get the opportunity to talk to great players that help big artists be who they are i mean that's a completely different thing to me and those those people usually tend to be the most amazing players you know what i mean i i i, I don't know what's in the sauce mm -hmm. there Chris, but uh, it's usually really amazing. So I'm really interested to find out, you know, what got you involved in, in playing guitar to begin with, what motivated you, you know, what influenced you, what was the desire to, to even start down that path? Well, you know, kind of dating myself. I mean, you know, the Ed Sullivan show, seeing Elvis on Ed Sullivan, seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, yeah. you know, all that had a pretty big influence. I guess I have to say Elvis was the first, you know, that uh, just caused me to want to want to pick up a guitar and, and yeah. then uh, proceeded on, you know, and those were exciting times. Uh, the music, you know, there wasn't all this other stuff going on. Uh, yeah. You know, we didn't have phones like we do now <laughs> and video games and all that. So music was pretty much it. And uh and I just dove in head first. Yeah. So when, when you did that, though, did you come from a musical family? Did you have people around you that were musical? We didn't have any musicians in the family, but my parents had great musical taste. Yeah. Uh, but they, they were playing, you know, Harry Belafonte and a lot of the stuff from the popular uh, Broadway shows at the time. And uh, and, you know, Johnny Mathis. And I mean, really, really good music for back then. So uh, yeah. I think it helped me develop my love for music. And I know they had some, some very cool records back then, like the Belafonte had sort of Latin vibe to it. And they had some instrumental records that were sort of Latin vibe, you know, and, and it, it really, uh, I think that's where my love for Latin feeling music kind of came from. Wow. So, so was, was it more of a love for, for the music or was there, was the guitar itself something that you know really intrigued you or was the guitar just a catalyst and just a tool in order for you to be able to do what you well i don't know i just kind of got caught by the guitar you know and it, yeah. it, uh you know of course in the beginning you start with a mel bay book and the notes on the e string and the b string and stuff and i had a really good teacher in west palm beach florida where i grew up uh, Bernie Valentine taught and it was a great teacher but you know it, when you first start playing it's not as exciting you know because you want to be able to pick it up and do what everybody else is doing but you know you have to take certain steps to get there but uh, I think I think I just really got caught up by guitar and, and of course in in those days you know the guitar was the thing you know yeah in in all the pop music and everything I mean you know, all the bands and everything had uh, the guitar seemed to be to the forefront of it. So, right. Yeah. So if you wanted to be cool, 
Yeah. You, you had to play yeah. guitar. Yeah. And of course, as you got into the 60s, into the 70s and that, I mean, that even became more prevalent. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, all the really definitely. cool people, definitely. you know, had the guitar and that. So so would you say, I, I'm guessing, you know, it sounds to me like you just had a, fasc- a fatuation with all types of music. There wasn't something specific. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I could yeah. say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that it seems like it seems like people of of the earlier generations, like myself and yourself, and that, you know, uh, were surrounded by a lot more music of all different kinds of, you know, backgrounds and diversities and mm-hmm. you know, sounds and stuff like that, as opposed to today, where although it's there, it almost feels like it isn't sometimes. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, music was very diverse back then, you know, I mean, everything was kind of, especially in the 60s, you know, everything, you know, was folk music, Latin music, you know, uh, through some of the rock bands we listened to, like Blues Image and Santana and stuff. And uh, and then, you know, the, you know, just, you know, kind of hard rock and music, blues, it was kind of all there, you know, uh, to draw from at that time. Yeah, you could listen to the radio and you could hear Muddy Waters and Elvis right, and exactly. Johnny Cash and mm-hmm. you could hear all that. Yeah, and now it's yeah. like, uh, where do you even find a radio station? Yeah, I know. I mean, when I, <laughs> where I grew up in Florida, you know, they had uh, South Florida had just great FM stations in Miami and Lauderdale that we could get in West Palm Beach. And that's what we listened to all the time. They were playing all the album cuts and everything. It was yeah. So, so when you started down that path, did you, did you have an idea that, you know, this is what I really like to do with my life or did you have other aspirations and this just happened? Well, you know, I think once I got into it and once I started playing in bands, uh, I think this was it because I, I didn't go to college. You know, I didn't, I didn't, and I really didn't, have any other aspirations to be or do anything else and uh so just you know as soon as i graduated from high school i just took off and started you know doing music full time yeah now how difficult was that at that at that time what'd your parents think well they they weren't real pleased with that decision (laughs) you know they, they had the same line you know uh you know you need something to fall back on which if things hadn't worked out the way they did they would be absolutely correct yeah i'm one of the most blessed guys ever to have been you know able to make a living playing music and uh do stuff so uh but you know back then it was it was kind of hard you know i mean it was fun but it was it's hard we weren't making much money you know we weren't making much of a living back then but it was a lot of fun right playing in bands and stuff right well you kind of got to go through that Mm -hmm. you know in order to to get somewhere and that, you know, so uh, I know you said you had a, an instructor in the, in the beginning and you were learning from the Mel Bay, you know, uh, doing what you do now. I mean, because you've played with, you know, so many people on, on, on a really high level and that I'm, I'm guessing that you're, you're pretty well trained. Well, it's, it's all, it's mostly by ear. Wow. We want, once I got into you know, once I got the basic lessons down and kind of learned my way around a little bit, I, I, I quit taking lessons and just started learning the stuff I wanted to learn by ear. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't sit down and sight read 
you know, I can pick out some stuff on sheet music, but I couldn't sure. sit down and sight read a thing like some guys could, you know. Uh, and yeah. luckily, the stuff I do doesn't require that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. So, so what would you say, you know, Chris, are some things that you did in the early days of your, of your playing and development that have helped you, you know, become the player that you are right now? Well, there's a couple things. Uh, one is back in South Florida, you know, once you got to a certain age, uh, the main gigs were in nightclubs. And so you'd play six nights a week four, maybe five sets a night, you know, and I mean, you just play in all the time. And, uh, you know, that's really a great way to get your chops up, even though you're playing cover material, you know, top 40 popular material, because that's what the people want to hear. But it's just playing every night for hours a night. And uh, that was helpful. And then, you know, I did get early on, I did get in some bands that, uh, you know, we were trying to write some of our own songs. And, and, uh, you know, just to survive back then, you had, I had to live in a band house, you know, with three or four other guys. And so yeah. we just set up in the living room and, and, you know, if we weren't gigging, we'd play all day, you know, and we'd jam and write songs out of jams. So I think it was just spending a whole lot of time uh, doing it, you know, just uh, all the time. And it's kind of strange for, for young people that I see today don't seem to have as many places to do that. You know, the gigs seem fewer and farther in between for my friends that have sons that are playing, uh, daughters, sons and daughters that are playing. You know, it's just a, a gig here and a gig there where back then we were working six nights a week, most weeks, you know. Right. Yeah, it, it's changed. I mean, drastically, even, you know, even since, you know, the early 90s, mm -hmm. you know, in the late 80s and that in the community that I live, I live south of Chicago. And at one point in time, you know, you could go see a band almost any night of the week here. Right. Now, there's, I don't think there's any place. Mm -hmm. There might be one place that has live music. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have live music no more. It's, it's really a shame, mm -hmm. you know. And I feel sorry for a lot of the young guys, Ben, that are, you know, trying to make a way for themselves. And you got venues that are trying to get them, you know, to pay to play there. and. Yeah. You know what I mean? Making them sell so many tickets before they can play there themselves and stuff yeah. like that. It makes it really difficult, you know, for for somebody to be able to experience what you did. Right. You right. know, I, I guess when I think about it, the only difference in that here is that, you know, in Nashville, they have lower Broadway. Mm -hmm. That's where young players can go play. It's pretty brutal down there. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, working four hour shifts and some some friends of mine I know work three or four shifts, but it's still a little more hit and miss than what we were doing. Yeah. There, there's some extremely talented people down there. I was just down there for the NAM show. And every time I go down there, I am just absolutely blown away by the caliber of yeah. talent, you mm -hmm. know, just, just at that level, mm -hmm. you know, not even, you know, uh, untapping, you know, the people that are, you know, in the homes around it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So in those early days, what, what were you playing through? What kind of guitar in, in that were you using in the early days? Well, that was the one thing, uh, Bernie Valentine, the teacher, he, he was got us really steered. My brother and I was playing at the same time, and he got us steered toward the right direction. And the early guitars that I had, once I got out of the student, beginner guitars were Gibson hollow bodies. You know, I had a yeah. 
the early 330, the one pickup model 330 was the first electric that I had. And then I went on to a 335 and 345 and then 355. Yeah. And uh, we started out with a brown super fender super amp, which I wish I still had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. But uh, then moved on to like super reverb, you know, uh, which seemed to be the amp of the day back then. And, uh, you know, back then it was pretty much a 335 and a cord coil cable and a super reverb. Yeah, Until yeah. Lovaz and stuff came out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much simpler back then. Um, now there's there's so much, you know. Yeah. So much gear that it's uh, complicated. So our, I I notice a lot of times when I see you uh, playing in that you're playing through a Les Paul a lot of the times that I I've seen you and mm -hmm. that um, are so are you still running a simple rig like? No, not quite as simple yeah. as that but but it's it's pretty much uh you know i went through all the phases here from the you know 20 something space rack stereo power amps and all that stuff back in the 80s but now it's back to pedals and and an amp and some guitars you know of course now there's a zillion pedals to choose from and right uh you know you could spend all day every day just trying out pedals but, <laughs> but i've got a few that i like and have used for years yeah. And what, what would those be? I mean, what are a couple of those? Well, I'm, I've, you know, I've had an addiction for years to the old nobles ODR oh, really? on pedals, you know, yeah. I wish I'd have bought 10 of them. I have three of them <laughs> of the old ones. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like I've, those have almost become like a state, the first stage of my amplifier where I leave them on all the time yeah. and, and stack other pedals on top. Uh, I'm real into analog man stuff. I've got King of Tone and Prince yeah. of Tone. I love just really natural sound and distortion. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, if you want a little bit more fuzziness, uh, OCD is pedal, you know, full tone OCD is good for that. Right, right. Um, that's pretty much it. So do you, uh, do you ever use, you know, any of the digital platforms, Fractal, Kemper, anything like mm -hmm. that? I don't. Uh, I had a, a Kemper for a short period of time but i'm not really uh as technically minded as some of my buddies i mean i never got to the stage where i sampled all my amplifiers you know or profiled yeah. them um and and i just I, I don't know anytime i've had direct stuff um it hadn't felt right to me yeah i, just, I guess i'm just kind of setting my ways with the amp stuff and uh I've got a few amps that I've had for years that just sound awesome. And I, you know, I like to play through them. So. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you, do you play, do you own a little Walter amp by chance? I don't. Mm -mm. Oh, okay. I don't. And I, I, uh, you know, I've been curious about those because, you know, it's like Vince and, and Andy Reese and, you know, uh, Paul Franklin, everybody's right. wild about him. As a matter of fact, I share a cartridge locker with Robin Ford. And he's got oh, his yeah. dumble. He's got his dumble sitting there. <laughs> he's got a bunch of little Walters stacked around it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He made he made the switch last year. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I've had a couple amps that I've had for years, and the the one amp that is just a magic amp is just uh, it's a, about a fifteen. 16 year old uh, car rambler that yeah. made by steve Carr, you know and it's it's just a magic little combo 28 watt combo amp and uh everybody all the engineers i play with just absolutely love it and yeah. uh, 
So that's what I use there. If we have cartridge and stuff, and what I have out on the road with Garth is is an old Nailer Superdrive 60 head. That's 60 watts, a little more punch to it. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of been my other main head that I use. Yeah. So so I, I got to ask, you know, because I've, you know, I've I've played a little bit in my life and I've been able to play some some decent gigs. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's it like to to stand in front of, you know, 40,000 people or 50,000 people with Garth Brooks? Well, it's it's pretty mind blowing. I have yeah. to say, I have to say. And the first time I got to do it was back in 2019. And uh, and, you know, when when it came out, it was just totally overwhelming. You know, you just don't know what to expect. And you come out of that little tunnel and walk up the steps on stage and it's like, boom, you know, this, all those folks are there. And, but really once you start playing, you know, everybody's on a wireless and you kind of focus on the first few rows, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and entertain those people, make eye contact, play, you know, Right. but every now and again, you look around and you go, holy cow. (laughs) Actually the, the gig we played, Last Saturday in Lincoln, Nebraska, there was over 91,000 people there. And it was just, I mean, I've never heard a crowd. It was so loud, I could barely hear the band. I mean, I had to just crank my in-ears up just to get over the crowd. And it it was really phenomenal, you know. And uh, I'm just really blessed that Garth has given me the opportunity to to go experience that. You know, so sweet of him to to let me go out there and experience it. So what, so what's it like working, you know, in a, in a band at, at that level? I mean, the, you know, I, I, do people work, you know, is there like a band manager or, uh, uh, you know, is there a guy that leads the band, mm-hmm. you know, is mm-hmm. outside of Garth and mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I just kind of curious of what that's like, you know, yeah. what's that feel like? Well, one of the coolest things for me about, playing with Garth on the road is that about five of the guys in his band are the same guys that he was playing with when he started out. And uh, so they've been there, they've done, you know, they did central park together. They went, did Ireland, all, all the really big shows together. And uh, they have quite a history. So for me, it's just fitting in with them and what they do, you know, and, uh, and Dave Gant, the keyboard player is the leader of the band has always been the leader. And, uh, and he does a great job, you know, uh, you know, just organizing everything, organizing rehearsals, organizing sound checks and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, so it is a it, it's it's a it's a machine, not a machine, but it's an organization right. that's already well in place, you know, and I just had to fit into it. One of the other cool blessings is, is uh, the other guitar player, electric player is Gordon Kennedy. And uh, Gordon's a fantastic guitar player and a great songwriter. And uh, so we're having a blast playing the two electric thing together yeah. you know, with Garth. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun doing that with, a, with two electrics. You know, it's very powerful, a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it always looks like whenever I've, whenever I've seen, you know, Garth play live in that it, it looks like the musicianship is, I don't know, it's like a com- camaraderie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean on stage, you know? So do you feel like it's like, you know, you guys are up there, even though you're entertaining this audience, you feel like it's still, you know, it's still almost like a, um, you know, almost like a club level in the sense that you're kind of entertaining each other, having a conversation with each other. 
Yeah, it is. And, you know, that's the funny thing about it. I mean, the stage is huge. And of yeah. course, the venues are huge. But really, in a way, there's an there is an intimacy on stage yeah. you know, where, where you, you might, since you're on a wireless walking around, you might end up next to Vicky or Robert singing background vocals or Gordon and I might do something together or Jimmy, the fiddle player. And, you know, it, it's just, uh, you know, and it is kind of intimate. You can sit there and get eye contact and work with somebody. And, and uh, it's, it's funny to have it that way in such a huge venue and such a huge stage. But uh yeah. But kind of like what you're saying, you know, it still feels just like a band playing together. Yeah, that that's got to that's got to make it, you know, worth it, you know, because although it's really cool to be in front of all those people. I mean, that's one of the reasons people get into playing live music is for that, you know, that intimacy that you have with the other band members. Yeah. The yeah, conversations absolutely. and stuff mm -hmm. that go on in that. Well, you know, you, you've, you've played with a lot of, you've been on a lot of recordings and you play with a lot of people. One of the people that I saw on your resume that stuck out to me was Anthony Gomes. Mm -hmm. You played on Anthony, one of Anthony Gomes albums. You know, I'm embarrassed to say, I can't remember for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send this to him. No, yeah, I'm just yeah no, I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say if my name's on there, I'm sure I played on it. You know, yeah, your name was on there. So I was because I've, I've known Anthony, you know, Anthony's just a blues guy, you know, he travels, mm -hmm. you know, completely different level. But uh, I thought, wow, that's really cool, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but uh, so so what kind of advice, you know, I know this is a common question, but what kind of advice would you give a guy, you know, that, you know, has aspirations to be where you are now? Because I know it takes a lot of hard work. I know that it takes a lot of dedication. Mm -hmm. I know that it's being at the right place at the right time you know, around the right people. But, you know, there's got to be some some secret inside stuff that you could share with somebody. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's uh, pretty much the same, I think both in the recording studio and playing in a band on the road uh, on tour is just, you know, be a team player. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, and there's so much involved in that. And first in your playing, you know, it's, it's always what we learn in the studio and on the road is, is playing for the song. You yeah. know, it's, it's, you play what the song requires or what it calls you to play. And that doesn't necessarily mean using all your chops on every song. You know, sometimes it's very simple, very basic. But if that's what the song requires, sometimes it's laying out for a good bit of the song. And uh, the other part, of course, I mean, personality and that kind of thing really weighs into it. You know, if, if you're going to be working, especially in the studio, uh, you know, just being polite, being nice, uh, being on time. I mean, all that simple stuff. Uh, right you know, is really important because nobody is going to want to, you know, work with somebody that's, that's not that way. You know, if you're showing up late and, and you're getting an attitude, if people don't like your ideas in the studio or something, you know, or if not if they don't like them, if they don't choose your idea to, mm -hmm. to do, you know, you just have to kind of be easy going, go with the flow. And uh, same thing on the road, you know, nobody's going to want to travel with somebody that's not in, nice and in a good frame of mind and and stuff and uh and you just always put the music first you know that that seems to come first for everything and sometimes that's hard for guitar players 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like you said a minute ago, you know, using all your chops, maybe it's that you don't want to use all your chops, but you definitely want to make sure that people, you know, are paying attention to you, that they, they, right. they see you doing your thing mm-hmm. in that. And I think it takes, would you say that it takes time and that it just takes time working in a band setting in order to get to the place to where you are playing for the song as opposed to just trying to, you know, be the rock star. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a learning curve. You know, when I first started working in the studio, I was trying to, you know, play a lot and play all yeah. the time and had some of the older guys say, hey, just, you know, just play a little less, <laughs> you know, just, just play the groove, you know, just get in the groove, play a little rhythm and and we'll worry about the other stuff later, you know. Yeah. And so it, it definitely is a little bit of a learning curve there. Yeah, and, I, you know, of course, when it comes time to, you know, show your stuff and, and, and have a moment where you can, uh, you know, show, show off a bit, it's nice to be able to do that. Yeah, it's nice if you get that opportunity. You know, I've heard, I've heard people say, you know, that they would rather go on the road with, you know, a good player, you know, that's just a really nice, honest person than to go out on the road with, you know, the most amazing player mm-hmm. that's, you know, complete, you know, opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know. I, I think so. And, you know, I think one of the things that's worked well for me in this town, because, you know, in this town, there's just some amazing players. I mean, yeah. some guys that will just blow your mind and, uh, and I get to work with a, uh, many of them, but I think along the way, one of the things that's helped me out is just, uh, really caring about the music you're playing on. And that's the thing. Most of the guys here I know will treat, you know, if they're in the studio working with somebody, they're going to treat an unknown artist from wherever the same as they're going to treat a major star. You know, they're not going to give any less to somebody just because they're not a signed label artist. You know, they're always doing their best. And then, uh, you know, many times I've just hung over a little extra time, overdubbed the extra part, overdubbed an extra solo. Don't charge them for it. Just spend a little extra time working on the music. And kind of what you were saying, people really appreciate that. And they really remember it, you know. And uh, many times I don't do it for that reason, but I do it because it's my work, work ethic. But many times you get a call back because of that, you know. Oh, yeah. People yeah, remember yeah. that. Well, what you said right there is just an amazing plug, you know, for the the musicians in that community, in the Nashville mm-hmm. community, in the studio. I mean, it, if if that was like broadcast, you know, everywhere to, to bands everywhere, I mean, people would want that. I know I would want that on my album, you know, mm-hmm. I would want something like that. So, uh, you know, to have somebody pay that kind of attention mm-hmm. to it, you know. I got a dog. I do. Mine's wandering around too. <laughs> You're just probably wondering what ours is barking at. <laughs> I tell you what, Chris, I I really appreciate you know you taking a little bit of time out of mm-hmm. your life to you know to talk to me and to let me get to know you because I, you know, I've seen you play several times. You know, I've heard you on several different things, and you're just a great player. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, you really are, you know, and uh, and I'm really thankful. Yeah. Know? Well, I was, I'm thankful that you invited me to do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very good. Well, I want to wish you the best of your the rest of your night and 
mm-hmm. and uh, I'll let you know when this is going to air so that you can, you know, share it, listen okay. to it, do whatever you want. You Sounds know? great. I will be glad to do that. All right, yep. Chris. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a good evening. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. There you go. Chris Luzinger, the guitarist for Garth Brooks. I want to thank Chris so much for participating in this episode and all that he does to uh, make Garth as uh, awesome as he is, musically speaking, of course. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was an absolute treat, absolute pleasure to be able to chat with him. Now, you can connect with him on Facebook. He's on all the social media stuff. He's got a lot going on. So make sure you look him up and see, you know, how you can support Chris in what he does and that we would greatly appreciate that you know what i want to thank you so much for tuning in make sure you go to guitartalkofficial.com sign up for our newsletter because some changes are coming uh our way and uh, we want to make sure you know all about them starting in january with the brand new third season of guitar talk until then i'm jimmy warren thank you so much for tuning in to guitar talk i'll see you next time